Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Sports Travel Podcast, where we interview leaders from throughout the sports event industry. This is Matt Traub, Senior Editor of Sports Travel, and our guest today is Sophie Goldschmidt, President and Chief Executive Officer of the U.S. Ski and Snowboard Association. But before we begin, this episode of the Sports Travel Podcast is being sponsored by the Teams Conference and Expo, the world's largest gathering of sports event organizers and the destinations and suppliers that serve the sports event industry. Teams 22 will be held in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma from October 24th through the 27th, 2022. This year's conference will again feature the co-location of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic SportsLink program and NGB Best Practices Seminar, as well as the annual symposium of the National Congress of State Games. For more details on everything we have planned at Teams this year, please visit teamsconference.com. And now, on to the conversation. Skiing and snowboarding have always been among the spotlight sports of the Olympic Winter Games, and the 2022 Games, which will start soon in Beijing, will be no different, with Michaela Schifrin and Chloe Kim among the biggest names for Team USA. But getting to Beijing and passing through strict COVID protocols has been a hot topic in the Olympic world, among many others, as China hosts the event. Named as the President and Chief Executive Officer for U.S. Ski and Snowboard in September, Sophie Goldschmidt joined the national governing body fresh off a stint as CEO of the World Surf League, with international experience ranging from the NBA to the WTA Tour and the Rugby Football Union. Sophie joined us recently for a conversation about the logistical hurdles that athletes will be facing to get to Beijing, health and safety protocols the organization has been using this winter, being the first female president and CEO of the national governing body, balancing the needs of high-performance athletes and growing the sport at a grassroots level, and so much more. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Sophie Goldschmidt, thank you for joining us today on the Sports Travel Podcast. Thank you. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Anyone who has followed the lead up to the Olympic Winter Games knows the difficulties ongoing for people to get into Beijing before the event begins. With the international ski and snowboard tours in the middle of their seasons, where will your athletes be leaving from to get to Beijing and what logistical hurdles is that presenting for you? Um, well, there's certainly plenty of logistical hurdles for some of the reasons you just mentioned. And um, sort of adding to that is the fact that we'll have athletes um, leaving from various different locations. Many of them are training and competing in Europe at the moment and would probably normally come back before heading to an Olympics, but we want to minimize unnecessary travel as much as possible. So they're going to stay over there and just jump on flights from Europe straight to Beijing. Others are going to be in the US um, and will be late, leaving from, bar- from various different um, destinations. Most of the sort of final legs are from LA, either directly to Beijing or going through um, a couple of other international hubs. So um, yeah, it's a bit of a jigsaw puzzle. And Look, with the protocols, the amount of testing you have to do in the days leading up, there's sort of a lot to, to juggle and manage. But we've got a great team who are on top of every detail. Changes are happening kind of in real time. So we've just got to stay on top of it. But, um, yeah, we'll have athletes leaving from, from various different locations, both in the U.S. and in Europe. Do you plan to be part of the delegation heading to Beijing as well? And if so, Take me through what this process has been like for you as you prepare as a non-athlete, but just still as part of the delegation in terms of isolating, making sure your contacts are, are, are traced. 
in some ways more straightforward for me than the athletes, obviously not nearly as much on the line. And I'm not out there competing and having to manage all of the high performance aspects of, of being a world-class athlete. But yeah, I'm absolutely planning to, to attend. I'm being as careful as possible. Um, we have very strict protocols for all of our staff because anyone could be interacting with folks that may be in contact with athletes or with athletes directly. So we have very strict protocols, both for being in the office and just sort of how people are working remotely and sort of going about um, their lives, because we've seen with this new variant is just so contagious. And whether you're vaccinated and boosted or not, um, you can clearly still get it. Um, On a positive note, it seems to be a lot less severe, possibly even less severe than the flu in most instances. And a lot of the people that we've had test positive have been asymptomatic, um, which is good and bad. Um, But yeah, given that, I'm trying to be very careful, obviously wearing a mask at all times whenever I'm out of my home um, and with people and really trying to limit the number of people I interact with. Definitely not spending much time in public spaces, certainly not indoors. But um, look, there's some things that that I need to do for, for my job. But I'm just being very sensible and careful. And, you know, first and foremost, don't want to do anything that's going to jeopardize our athletes and coaches and those that are really closest to the performance side. Um, don't want to do anything that, that might lead to them getting it. You joined U.S. Ski and Snowboard from the World Surf League, an organization that had to get athletes into some remote parts of the world for competitions. How would you compare the challenges of getting athletes to Beijing and getting athletes in the World Surf League to some of the venues that you were at? Yeah, look, in some ways it was quite good preparation. And I've spent very fortunately my whole career working in sports, in all sorts of different sports, taking place in every continent and a lot of different countries. So yeah, I've definitely encountered a lot of challenges. I think World Surfing perspective, it was sort of the logistical, sort of literal just travel challenges and sort of going to some very far-flung places that often took a long time. This is different because this is about health and safety. It's a different type of challenge that we're encountering that the world has not been through before. So there's so many more unknowns. You know, even this latest variant, who would have thought we would have been in quite this situation only sort of six months after what we dealt with last summer. So yeah, look, there's definitely some learnings and some situations I'm in where I'm like, okay, I've kind of experienced this a little bit before. I can see, you know, what's worked in the past, how that's relevant and how it's not. But yeah, there's many, many firsts. And I think it's just about being really thoughtful, not rushing into decisions if you don't have to, because also things are changing in kind of real time, but being really prepared and just being in the right headspace to make to make the right decisions and importantly support staff and teams that are on the front line, um, dealing with everything day in, day out. COVID has been one of the dominant storylines ahead of the games. Obviously, Michaela Schifrin's recent positive test made news internationally Mm -hmm. before she has, of course, been able to clear protocols and she has resumed competition at her normal uh, high standards. What has U.S. Ski and Snowboard been trying to do to ensure athletes remain healthy ahead of Beijing and are able to compete? We have been on it for a long time. I mean, we've been managing the process, had very strict protocols that we're communicating with as effectively as possible and very regularly with all of our athletes, coaches and staff. So this isn't a new thing for us. And I think the team, look, it started long before I joined, but have managed things really, really well. Obviously, recently, as the Games gets closer and just the restrictions from China have been so much more extreme, although some of those are kind of 
falling more in line with how other countries have been handling things in the last couple of weeks, which is helpful. We're just reviewing constantly. What are we learning? How can we change different protocols? How are we making sure we're communicating the right way? Because look, there's a new, uh, there's a, a challenge that some this has been around so long that it can become white noise and people because it's not so serious okay you don't need to take the protocols so seriously it's just not the case because a positive test is a positive test you still are kind of out of competition and and have very sort of stringent things that you have to sort of adhere to 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 get back to compete so we're just staying as on top of it as, as possible we have very regular meetings i'm in touch with our medical head and all of the staff on a daily basis and also you know just making sure that everyone knows we're in this together you know it can be pretty lonely and isolating when you can't interact like you normally can you know our athletes many of them are on the roads for months at a time and without the same kind of support network you think going to Beijing normally this is a high point in your career where your family and friends come and celebrate there's none of that you know and they've been in Europe they're not coming back before they go to Beijing you know, mentally, that's really wearing. So there's sort of the mental and then health and safety kind of physical side of it as well. So we're trying to look at it really holistically and work with experts. The USOPC has been a great support. There are obviously a lot of learnings coming out of Tokyo that we've been able to um, learn from. So yeah, look, there's not a silver bullet. There's all sorts of things that are going on behind the scene to put us in the best place possible. Beijing's hosting of the Winter Games has obviously been a point of debate internationally, especially when it comes to human rights. Beyond COVID and the challenges preparing for for that ahead of this game, these games, has your organization been doing to make sure that athletes are prepared for all that being in China entails? Yeah, look, I think um, with any new location, we look at it and communicate to them holistically about both the performance and cultural and other aspects. I think that, you know, the one sort of big challenge here, which just isn't just for the US, by the way, is for all nations. Very few sports have had test events um, and some of our sports have never competed in China. So that is new and different and is far from ideal. Look, covid sort of aside, just in general, to be competing in the biggest, one of the biggest global events in the world, um, where most athletes have never competed before is is interesting and, and a challenge. So there's kind of that aspect. In addition to, yeah, just making sure they're, they're comfortable with, you know, questions they're going to be asked. We always put our athletes through media training. We want them um, to be prepared and not have anything to distract them from achieving their lifelong dreams and being able to focus on kind of what their their jobs are and allow them to feel comfortable with that. So yeah, look, with every Olympic Games, there's always something new and something different that, you know, you have to kind of deal with. And we're just preparing our athletes in the best way we can to cope with anything that comes their way. You were named the president and CEO for U.S. Ski and Snowboard in September. What made you interested in the position? And in the months since you've been named and have taken over the organization, what have your impressions been and what things have you identified as touch points for future improvement? In the end, it ended up being a no-brainer. It was quite a long process and I was you know, exploring some other things in parallel, which, you know, is a fortunate position to be in. But ultimately, I feel it sometimes helps you make the best decision. In the end, there were various reasons that I took the role. First of all, I really believed in kind of the mission and values of the organization and of our sports. For me, that was an authentic fit. I want to be representing and working for an organization that I really believe in, and I feel can ultimately make the world a better place and achieve 
um, transformative things. And I feel that this organization can do that. I felt while we're in a very strong place in so many ways, I felt that there was upside, both commercially, brand building wise, and also on the performance side. And to me, it was important that if I was going to join an organization, my experience and skill set could add value so that we could improve things. I, you know, I'm not so interested in joining an organization where it's just about sort of maintaining and that sort of has plateaued. And to me, there seems to be a mindset and spirit that and spirit that people kind of want to do better and are willing to think out the box and really push the boundaries. So that was really important to me. The number of good people I met during the process, and I've met, look, sort of through my um, skiing adventures, um, which are very mid-level, by the way. You know, there's a sort of infectious spirit. The, the passion and support that people have for these sports, our organization, our athletes, is pretty unparalleled. Um, like I've said a couple of times in other um, interviews, I'm used to working around passionate people. I've worked in sports my whole career, very fortunately. And so people normally love what they do or are inspired by the sports they're working in. But this takes it to a whole new level. It's kind of overwhelming, just the commitment and the impact that these sports have on people's lives. It's really like a lifelong mission. And I think it's because, you know, often they're friendship groups and families. It's something you can do collectively from when you're very young to old. And it's a whole adventure. I think that's very powerful. And I feel that's something we can capture to sort of further elevate the organization. But for me, it was very striking and was something that I wanted to, to be a part of. So those are a few of the reasons that I joined. As far as, look, early days still. So what have I identified that I want to change? Look, as you can sense, as we've been discussing, there's been quite a lot to just sort of manage and learn since I joined. I joined the first week of the season leading up to an Olympic um, games and in the midst of COVID. So it's not sort of your normal start to a job, but, you know, with some of those challenges, you learn much more quickly. So I feel I've sort of been able to dig in deeper than I might have done in sort of normal times, if I can put it that way, definitely on the performance and sports side, which is the area where I had the most to learn. So I haven't worked in snow sports before. I haven't worked with these athletes and teams. So my learning's definitely been accelerated in that um, area. On the business side, it's a lot more familiar and I'm sort of beginning to um, identify um, some areas where I think we can maybe be a bit more creative and, and do things differently, how we can maybe attract more investment. Definitely on the marketing side, I think there's an opportunity to grow the profile of our athletes and sports and organization quite significantly. But I want to be really thoughtful. Look, I don't want to do anything to disrupt sort of preparation for Beijing, um, sort of taking my time to think that through. And I think sort of Q2 and 3, things will be sort of become clearer in my mind. We'll be ready to sort of lay out the next stage of our strategy and sort of evolution as an organization. You mentioned something I want to follow up on is you have these worldwide stars. You have Michaela Schifrin. You have... Chloe Kim, you have Sean White, who's been a longtime fixture on the snowboarding scene. You have Ted Ligety and Bodie Miller, who are not competing internationally anymore, but are still known worldwide in the skiing industry. And how has it been when you take over the organization? You want to obviously make sure that you have relationships with your with the athletes who are part that are part of the programs as well, historically and currently, but you're not really able to do that in the same way that you normally would if there hadn't been lead up to an Olympics during a global pandemic, what has that been like for you in terms of trying to get to know each people, people throughout your organization 
when you have to try and restrict how much how much movement you are able to do? Yeah, look, I, I mean, I've been very careful and I'm now limiting my travel period Beijing, but I have been to a lot of events and I've met a lot of people just outside and socially distanced. So I went to Europe um, for a couple of events. We've had a lot of events in the US. So I actually have had a chance to meet a lot of our athletes in person. And I've also spent a lot of time on Zoom. Um, I've also begun to get to know some of our, our former athletes, who I think are a really important group that hopefully we can work even more closely with, and all our other important stakeholders, our board members, our trustees, our clubs. They're, I mean, they are the lifeblood of kind of our pipeline, coaches at all levels, our different partners, the academies, the universities. You know, there's so many different people that feel, feed into our ecosystem um, so I'm actually really proud of the number of people that I have got to engage with and actually given COVID a surprising number of them in, in person, which obviously, you know, is important. You you get a different sort of vibe and you can build different relationships when you're engaging sort of face to face. So, so yeah, look, more to come. Um, there's a lot of folks I haven't met yet, but it's a big part of my onboarding and my immersion. You know, I, I definitely don't want to become too insular and just talk to people that are sort of already in our world. Um, it's really important to get those outside perspectives and I'm going to invest whatever time I need to to kind of get the right balance of, of views and perspectives that will ultimately help me make the right decisions and hopefully continue to keep this organization going in a very positive direction. You mentioned you were named president and CEO in September. We are now, though, in the calendar year 2022, which is the 50th anniversary of Title IX. And what for you is the significance of being the first female president and CEO of U.S. Ski and Snowboard? Well, I was announced in September. I actually didn't start till the end of October, um, although I was obviously thinking a lot about the job from September onwards. Look, the whole equality topic and Title IX has had a huge impact on women's sports. Um, I'm very familiar with it, having started in tennis, because Billie Jean King, who's a huge idol of mine and someone I, I've got to um, meet a few times over the years, was sort of a big instigator of it. And really, you think it's still a big deal now. So when it happened 50 years ago, I mean, how pioneering and ahead of their time were they? And especially as college sports goes, it was obviously transformative. I think because skiing and snow sports are an important part of college sports, but less so compared to some sports, just because of the practical reality of you need snow. So it's therefore probably had a little bit less of an impact on our sports than it has on, on others. But still, that generation of pioneering sportswomen and women in general has impacted our athletes, for sure. It's a big moment to properly celebrate it. And we've come a long way, but we've got even further to go. I mean, in my mind, the change has been far too slow. And it's interesting at, you know, US ski and snowboard, we've had so many successful athletes, men and women, but the women have done particularly well. You know, we've really had these generational athletes for a while now and continue to that have really paved the way and dominated their sports, which I think given that in general, snow sports are still pretty male dominated when you look at it from a business coaching side is beginning to change. But, you know, hopefully I can help encourage that even more and uh, and help to build on what has gone before um, because there are some amazing women in our sports and also some fantastic men who are incredibly supportive as well. Look, the more equality we have across all areas, um, the better it is for, for everyone. So it's something that I'm very keen to continue to push. And, and I think in, in some areas we've done a really good job and in, in other areas we, we really need to continue to up our game. 
All national governing bodies struggle between balancing the needs for high-performance athletes in all years, not just Olympic years, with also being able to grow on the grassroots level. How do you see that balance being achieved by U.S. ski and snowboard? Balance is a good word. I think it is a balance. And I, I look at them as being very complementary. I think ultimately there aren't many things more impactful to inspiring a generation to getting more involved and participating or engagement than elite success. You know, winning medals, winning world titles, winning world championships is very, very motivating. So I feel like one does fuel the other. Having said that, if you focus on the grassroots side and get a better um, intake of talent and have more people participating, you get more talent coming into the pipeline that also leads to at least success. So the tough thing is financially. So where do you, you know, we ha- I wish we had an unlimited checkbook and I'm confident and ambitious to grow the amount of revenue we have coming in so that we can invest in more programs. But, you know, you have tough choices to make. Um, and we do focus quite a lot on investment in the elite end, but we do also support the grassroots. And I hope over time we can invest both at more levels, because like I said, to me, it is a virtual circle. One kind of helps the other. And it's another reason actually I took the job. There are many opportunities where you get to play in the whole ecosystem, both at the grassroots level and elite. And that's kind of when you can get those really singing together and everyone driving for the same thing. I think that's when something really magical can happen. So that's what I'm focused on on trying to achieve. Skiing and snowboarding have a high cost of entry with the necessary equipment, price of lift tickets, all of those things. Does that concern you? And what can U.S. ski and snowboard do to improve participation in the diversity of your participants in the future? Look, it is a challenge um, for our sports, especially in the US. I mean, it's even more expensive here than it is in Europe. Yeah, for certain folks, we've got to be realistic. It is a barrier. That doesn't mean we can't have programs and we can't put investment into certain initiatives and certain areas so that it is more affordable. And there are some amazing programs out there, whether it's the one in Sun Valley I met with the folks from up there or Cheryl Winters um, is another example. There are numerous examples of programs um, that have been going for years that are giving folks that may not normally be able to afford it a chance to get on snow and experience our sports. And then from there, there are different scholarship and other opportunities, but we need to be doing more of it. It's not like we have to do all the heavy lifting. We, yes, should be investing and have programs that we directly manage, but I think it's as powerful for us to be supporting what else exists out there and amplifying that and supporting that, whether it's financially through our athletes um, talking about it, our coaches spending time, investing in sort of teaching and sharing best practice so, yeah, it's something that I think is, is really important um, and something that we're going to be focusing on doing even more. I want our sports to be as in- inclusive as possible, and we need to continue to sort of break down these barriers, and we will. U.S. Ski and Snowboard has been supportive of new events in the past, such as Big Air, that can be held off the mountain and in cities instead. The World Pro Ski Tour is a professional alpine race tour in which athletes race side by side now. What are your thoughts on those kind of events and how they can grow skiing organically throughout the the United States? They're really important. I think, look, as the overall national governing body um, within Breeze, we should be embracing all varieties of our sports to sort of be the home for all things ski and snowboarding in the U.S. Again, financially, we have to make choices. It's just practically impossible to support everyone but that doesn't mean 
we can't showcase content and show support in in different ways. So um, look, again, I'm new. I haven't yet met all these different organizations and I need to dive into exactly how some of these other events and tours work. But I hope that we can, in the right way, embrace uh, even more aspects and sort of organizations and and events within our world and becoming more inclusive with how, how we think about things. How would you evaluate yourself on the slopes? Are you a skier, snowboarder, a little bit of both? You know, describe uh, your your experience. I'm a skier, but I'm going to learn to snowboard and I'm definitely going to learn how to cross-country ski as well. Um, I would say I'm a very average skier, but I'm a very passionate one. I love it. It's my favorite thing to do in my free time and has been for a while. And hopefully I have a chance to get better. I haven't got to ski as much as I would have liked since I started this job because I've been pretty busy with other things. But <laughs> yeah, I'm determined um, to improve um, and uh, yeah, to give all our sports a try. I think it's really important um, that, that I do. I think you can be very well. I think people will understand that you've had uh, more more than a few things to focus on rather than whether or not you can get an afternoon free on the slopes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I actually I did get out um, for a few runs this afternoon for the first time in a, in a couple of weeks, which was very nice. Well, Sophie, I really appreciate your time that you've taken. I hope that you're able to stay safe and healthy ahead of Beijing and that U.S. Ski and Snowboard is able to have a successful Winter Olympics. And thank you for joining us on the Sports Travel Podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks for your interest and support and hopefully connect again soon. And uh, thanks in advance for cheering on the team. This has been another edition of the Sports Travel Podcast. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on all your favorite platforms, including iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Past episodes are also available at sportstravelmagazine.com, which features breaking news and in-depth features on stories related to the sports event industry. Be sure to visit us daily at sportstravelmagazine.com, at Sports Travel on Twitter and Instagram, and at Sports Travel Magazine on Facebook and LinkedIn. Until then, this is Matt Traub for Sports Travel, and thanks for listening.